Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I'm Tash, and you're listening to episode 12 of Chat Disney. So welcome back to another week on the Chat Disney podcast. This week, we are going to be following on with our Disney animation series. If you tuned in last week, we were talking about the Bronze Age or the Dark Age, as some like to call, to call refer to it. Uh, this week, we are going to be discussing all the films from the Disney Renaissance. But first, let's have a look at what's been going on in the world of Disney this week. So, uh, first things first, uh, Disney have um, released images of the Bo Peep character that is going to be coming to Disney parks all over the globe this summer. Um, We're not exactly sure when she's going to be in the parks, but I can only imagine it's going to be sort of around the time that Toy Story 4 is released. Um, I actually think she looks a little creepy. It's kind of a face. I mean, you know, I have quite a strong opinion on the Pixar character's anyway when you see them in parks I think it's something about kind of having the masks and they the eyes don't move and I don't I don't like it yeah they have done Bo Peep or an iteration of Bo Peep in the past um I saw it at Walt Disney World in this Pixar block party bash or something it was like a street party and it is quite scary because it's it's a face character it's not a fur character but they do wear a mask um there's a really famous Jessica Rabbit face character as well that's the same that's really freaky so if you do get a chance have a little google and have a look at those and I do think this Bo Peep is slightly less threatening looking (laughs) um but it it is still a bit of an unpleasant one definitely so yeah if you haven't seen her have a look she's kind of in her new blue kind of trouser outfit um she's got her staff as well which is interesting because obviously there's been some controversy over that from Peter saying it kind of you know represents cruelty to animals so it's interesting that they've kind of kept that um for her meet and greet or parade character i don't know what she's actually going to be doing um so yeah check her out if you haven't already in the same vein chatting about disney parks uh, last week saw the opening of galaxy's edge in disneyland in california so this is the star wars portion of that park that's just been opened bob Iger, the ceo of disney was there during the grand opening to finally unveil this amazing landscape that they've been working on for so long um you currently still need a reservation uh, to, to get into galaxy's edge i believe it's fully booked until the 23rd of june so if you are heading over to the disney parks in america uh, florida's galaxy edge galaxy's edge will be opening later on this year so definitely make sure that you're fully booked in you've got your reservations um, because it is expected to be a very very busy part of those parks for kind of the foreseeable future um, I believe there's only one attraction that's been opened in Galaxy's Edge so far but there is more to be released in the coming months so yeah if you don't have any plans to go to the US parks it's probably best to keep it that way for at least a year I would say because they are heaving at the moment Disney also this week released the first look at the new Pixar film Onward, um, which is going to be released, I believe, next year. Um, We're actually going to be doing a live reaction to the trailer at the end of the episode, as Mercedes has not seen it yet, so do stay tuned for that. Yes, I'm really looking forward to that, actually. I didn't even realise there was a trailer. Um, I saw some pictures on Instagram, I believe D23, um, their Instagram account, released a couple of images but i didn't realize the trailer was out so that is something for me to look forward to at the end of this episode for sure and finally the walt disney company announced this year that in line with georgia's anti-abortion policies that have been the height of controversy over the last couple of weeks that they will no longer be filming in the state of georgia um lots of movie studios and actors have kind of come forward and spoken about this um, and disney have said that they too will stop filming in the state um which is probably probably doesn't sound like a big deal but when you consider films like infinity war uh, avengers endgame black panther spider-man homecoming were all filmed in georgia and um, it was actually uh, in 2007 the second um, most recorded in 
location, uh, which was um, joint second actually with the UK, um, which is mostly because of the fact there's a 30% tax break in Georgia, which is why lots of movie studios like to record there. Um, but yeah, to kind of show their solidarity with, with the other states in America that don't agree with these anti-abortion laws, the Disney company have said that they will no longer record in Georgia. And that's pretty much everything that's been happening this week. We're now going to move into the main part of the episode, chatting all about mine and Tasha's favourite era of Disney, the Renaissance period. So the Disney Renaissance period um, started in 1989 with The Little Mermaid. Um, Just to give a quick overview of the films, Little Mermaid, then we had The Rescuers Down Under, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan and Tarzan. Um, Absolute classic Disney films. I would say that these are kind of the films that defined our generation in a lot of ways. Um, Disney had obviously just come out of the Dark Ages, so a very low point for Disney. They nearly ended up going bankrupt. They kind of had Oliver and Company right at the end, which kind of started to lift them again a little bit. But I think they kind of realised that they were losing their way. Um, They hadn't been as successful as they had previously. Um, So this was kind of their return to sort of making classics. They kind of revisited the traditional fairy tale format. Um, A lot more, they went back to producing amazing soundtracks. You know, they worked with sort of Tim Rice and um, Alan Menken a lot for a lot of these films. Um, So yeah, so they produced some absolute you know, I would say probably both of our favourite films, you know, all within this, this period. Um, So yeah, they needed to up their game. And I feel that they certainly did that. They also had Don Bluth to compete with now. Um, We talked about this a little bit last week. So he left Disney um, at the sort of, I think it was the end of the Bronze Age, because he didn't like the direction the company was going in. So he set up his own production company where they produced things like All Dogs Go to Heaven, The Secret of the Nim, etc. So there was kind of now another big animator in the industry for them to kind of compete with. So hence, they started putting a lot more focus on kind of their storylines and characters and things again to give us some of the best Disney films. In our opinion, of In course. our opinion. I think many people's opinions Yeah, as well. I think so too. Um, as Tash has just summarised there, the period starting in 1989, taking us right up to 1999. Tash and I were both born in the very early 90s, so these movies really were our childhood and have a lot of nostalgia for us. So we are very passionate about these movies, but despite that, I think that Disney fans of all ages can appreciate that this really was, in so many ways, um, a really encouraging time for Disney. Um, Roy Disney, the nephew of Walt Disney, was CEO of the company, um, and some really amazing things were produced. It was also the time that Disneyland Paris was opened. So I think for UK audiences, for sure, um, the company was becoming a lot more part of everyday life, um, people obviously taking holidays to Disneyland with it being more accessible in Paris and France um my mum went to Disneyland for the first time I went as a little girl I know Tash was taken as a baby so I think that for our generation Disney being such an integral part of life um definitely kind of happened in this period Disney Channel came to the UK too oh it did yeah, yeah really big part of yeah, of, of, of life, I guess. So um, what Tash and I will do in this week's episode chatting about the Renaissance period is we'll quickly run through um, the movies. We'll give you a bit of an overview um, with regards to each of them, tell you our favourite bits and pieces as we have done in previous episodes and then give you a little bit of a summary at the end just kind of recap overall uh, on the period similarities and things that we start to notice. Um, yeah, so let's kick off with The Little Mermaid. So The Little Mermaid is my favourite Disney film. Um, Partly that goes back to kind of a nostalgia thing. It was always the film that I loved the most as a child. I had The Little Mermaid Barbie, who I took everywhere with me. Um, And still to this day, I absolutely love that film. I love the characters. I love the soundtrack. I love the story. I love the visuals. I hate the sea, which is really weird because I love that film so much. But it's just got everything going for me. Um, it's quite an interesting one because obviously today it is considered to be one of the more controversial films. Um, a lot of celebrities have come forward kind of in the past year saying that they're not going to show it to their children because of how Ariel is portrayed. Um, she's not a positive role model. 
So it is, you know, I can I can understand that, but I think you've got to look at the film in the context of the 80s. It was released in 1989. If you compare Ariel to, say, Cinderella, Snow White, Aurora, she had obviously come on in leaps and bounds compared to them. She is quite rebellious. She has her own voice. You know, she is determined. She's prepared to give up her voice to, you know, be with this man that she is fallen in love with. Um, so in terms of comparing her to sort of other characters before, I think for the time she was seen to be quite, you know, inspirational and, you know, quite, quite good for feminism. Whereas now, if you look at her in comparison to, say, Moana, Elsa, Merida, it's it's difficult to see because she does give up her voice for a man. Whereas those later, que- uh, later queens, later princesses, I'm thinking about RuPaul. <laughs> <laughs> those later princesses, not even princesses, but, but anyway, um, they're kind of considered even more independent. So comparing her to them, you can kind of see where people are coming from. But I think if you kind of keep it in the context of the time, you know, I don't, I don't think Ariel can be blamed for being a bad role model. No, and I guess the thing is as well, um, you know, regardless of something that Tash and I always say is that you shouldn't judge something historically by today's standards. Um, obviously, this was, you know, 89, we're moving into the 90s. It was a very forward-thinking era. But also, if you look at Ariel, no one is kind of forcing her to make that decision. She's a 16-year-old girl who is fully aware of what she is doing. Um, obviously, she's deceived by the sea witch Ursula, but she very much believes that she loves this man and does something very foolish and silly because of it. Um, and I'll be the first to put my hand on my heart and say I definitely did that when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think that as long as you kind of introduce this film to young children nowadays and give them that background, like, oh, isn't Ariel silly for doing that? And make an example out of that. I don't see anything wrong with it being shown to children of today. Um, With regards to kind of my relationship with The Little Mermaid, I actually didn't watch it till I was a little bit older. Now, Tash has an older sister, so I imagine that you probably had a copy of that from quite a young age. But for me, um, we've spoken about the Disney vault before on this podcast and how Disney movies would come out for a period of time. And if you didn't purchase it, it would get kind of locked in the vault per se and you wouldn't be able to buy it for a number of years after this happened to my mum so my mum so wanted me to watch The Little Mermaid and couldn't get her hands on it anywhere um she kind of told all of her friends about it and how she was trying to get a hold of a copy and one of her friends was like oh I've I've seen it I've seen a, a, a video of The Little Mermaid I saw it in like Asda or wherever it was I don't know some supermarket my mum was like, really? Because I've been looking like everywhere and I don't think it's out anywhere at the moment on VHS. She was like, yeah, yeah, I definitely saw it. I'll get you a copy. And it was basically a VHS of that animated Little Mermaid series that used to be on Disney Channel. Oh, no. <laughs> so my mum was like, yeah, no, this is not it. So I watched that loads when I was really small. But um, yeah, I didn't watch The Little Mermaid until I was a bit older. Um, For me, it was never a really... I, I did like The Little Mermaid and I do like it now. It's, it's never been a favourite of mine. Um, I think it's like, I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I think it's the fish. Like, I don't really, <laughs> like, I know how you said you don't like the don't sea, but I... Don't relate to a fish. Well, yeah, I just, I really don't, I really dislike the sea, which is quite funny because my boyfriend does quite a lot of water sports and loves the sea. But I... I remember like being in the Caribbean when I was seven and swimming in the sea and seeing a fish and freaking out. Like I, I don't really like fish very much, (laughs) but um, no, I don't know. I I like it, but it's not my favorite. I think the thing with the little mermaid is as well, they kind of gone back to using a different style of animation. So things look kind of a lot smoother and a lot clearer. And I think it kind of gave them more opportunity to kind of create a whole a spectacular visual world so even you know like I don't like the sea either but I think kind of seeing you know this underwater world that they created and all these colourful fish I think visually I think it is a beautiful film to watch which we hadn't really seen before definitely and I think also a really really key part of The Little Mermaid and something that we're going to be talking about a lot during this renaissance episode is the use of music Um, I would say The Little Mermaid is the first Disney movie where it really is a musical Um, it's not the first one where music has been used in a really important way we've spoken a lot about things like uh, The Jungle Book and the Aristocats and their use of music um, and music 
technicality, but The Little Mermaid um, was a Broadway production and, you know, the first of many Disney movies that really saw the whole thing as a musical spectacular. Um, you know, you watch some of these Disney movies now when they're released in the cinema and you think, yeah, I can see exactly how this is going to be on stage. So that was quite a key um, point, I think, for this movie. And also, I would say that um, another really key part of the Renaissance period and something that we start to see in The Little Mermaid is really the awareness of the contemporary climate and taking pop culture references into the movie. So Tash obviously made a little slip up there because her head was in the drag queen world. <laughs> but that is kind of on topic because Ursula, uh, the sea witch, was based on Divine, a very famous plus-size drag queen that was in the New York scene around that time. Um, and the the animators took a lot of references from um, Divine in the portrayal of Ursula. So, yeah, it really gives us that glimpse, I think, into society um, and allows us to see what was happening really in the current climate and how that fed into the animation which is again as I say a really really common theme that kind of makes its way through all of these movies definitely I think this is The Little Mermaid is a very clear start for the Disney Renaissance I think if you try and compare it to any films from the Bronze Age you can see that there's a very clear divide and someone obviously thought hang on what the hell are we doing let's clear up our act and start producing some gems again 100% and of course The Little Mermaid as well gives us Glenn Keane uh, one of my favourite Disney animators he animated Ariel so you know bravo so all this kind of progress forward and then we have our next movie The Rescuers Down Under The Rescuers Down Under in my opinion has no business being in the Disney Renaissance period and that's all I'll say on that <laughs> have you ever seen it oh like once or twice yeah I just remember that I, I watched it when I was little one of my cousins really liked it I remember that gecko thing <laughs> I don't even remember that there's like because obviously it's set in Australia and there's some kind of like bad guy Steve Irwin yeah. uh, character gone bad <laughs> and he's got this horrible gecko creature that kind of I don't know it kind of like Crawls along. I'm quite horrible. surprised that they did it. I mean, it was obviously in production sort of at the end of the bronze period, but I feel like kind of with their new sort of outlook on kind of going back to the traditional fairy tale and kind of making, you know, pr- making sure that they were producing quality films again, that they did a sequel to something released from the Bronze Age. But then I guess The, Red- the Rescuers did do well yeah. when it was released. Yeah, so. The Rescuers was a commercial success. And I think, to be honest with you, I don't know that they were aware that they needed to create this musical spectacular based on a fairy tale. They probably just did The Little Mermaid, got lucky and were like, aha, yes, this is what we need to do. Um, yeah, that's all we need to say about The Rescuers Down Under. Um, so then we, we move on to the year that I was born, 1991, um, and the release of probably arguably the, the the Disney movie of all time, Beauty and the Beast. Um, my relationship with Beauty and the Beast, I often say it's my favourite film from, you know, the Disney classics. I can't really decide between that and Aladdin. I actually was really thinking about this before recording of which one is my favourite and I actually don't think I can choose between them. Um, I have a very special relationship with Beauty and the Beast. It was the first musical I ever saw in London's West End um, and we went, I think, about four or five times because I was just so taken with it. I think I was about five. Um, I remember my mum and I went to London. I, I don't even know if I'd been to London before. I'd certainly never seen a show and it absolutely blew me away. I just, oh yeah, I can remember it like it was yesterday. It's probably one of my earliest memories actually was going to that theatre. Um, so yeah, I, I have a really, really special relationship with Beauty and the Beast. And it came out the year I was born, so I always feel like it, I don't know, we're connected somehow. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah so no, I love, love Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I think the same here like you. I also have kind of like a personal story with Beauty and the Beast. It was, I mean, actually not me, but it was the first Disney film my dad um it's my dad's favorite film and he took my sister to see it at the cinema um and it was kind of the start of him falling back in love with Disney um because a lot of my love for Disney comes from my dad um me and my dad actually did a dance at my wedding which I didn't know about until the day um to the title song and that was lovely so it has kind of a lot of sentimental value to me as well um, so it's definitely, again, like you say with Aladdin, I'm the same with The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Like, I, I'm very kind of teetering yeah, on the edge of which one's hard, my favourite. It? it is hard. I think the fact that we both feel that way about Beauty and the Beast and we both have this kind of emotional attachment to it and we both can't really pick between that and, and another movie, I think 
I, I think says a lot about that film. Um, obviously, the live action version of Beauty and the Beast came out quite recently. I really liked that too. I think having seen Aladdin recently and how incredible that was, it's kind of made me maybe not appreciate Beauty and the Beast as much as I did when it first came out. But I do like the live action as well. Yeah, I do. I love the live action as well. I could watch that over and over again. But I do know what you mean in terms of comparing it to sort of some of the acting talent in Aladdin. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, sort of going back to, you know, talking about sort of the original Beauty and the Beast. Um, obviously, the storyline is an absolute classic. Um, the character of Belle, I would say she is a firm favourite um, in terms of Disney princesses for many people. You know, she's this kind of strong-willed, confident, she's not afraid to stand up to the beast. Um, one thing I really love about it is the first time that kind of the female lead does not instantly fall in love with a prince. You know, she actually spends time with the beast and she's repulsed by his haggard appearance at first. <laughs> But kind of as she gets to know him, she falls in love with him, which is very different to what we see in the early days where it's, you know, even Ariel, she's, you know, in the sea and she sees Eric dancing around on a boat and instantly she's in love. So it's kind of, I think that's quite a good, a long way to come for Disney to kind of show, you know, it's not all love at first sight. Definitely. And I think um, for me, again, there's a few kind of key points in this that, that really stand out. We've got Angela Lansbury in the role of Mrs. Potts, very, very famous um, actress in and out of the Walt Disney Company. We had seen um, in the Bronze era a few kind of famous actors. Uh, so this wasn't kind of a new thing for Disney. They had been exploring it previously, but I think the Renaissance periods when using famous voice talents really, really kind of became their thing. Um, another thing as well that I wanted to mention about Beauty and the Beast that I really like is it's the first time the villain isn't this character in this avant-garde cape and these feathers and these <laughs> royal colours. It's an absolute douchebag. And, you know, we, we I've met hundreds of Gastons in my we life. All we all we know a Gaston. We all know a Gaston. And I think... I really, really love the movie because of that. And I do think as well, this this idea of teaching children values, you know, what better value is there than this handsome man is horrible, this beast is actually the prince. It's such a basic story, um, or a basic concept of morals, but I think that in that story, and that's not anything revolutionary, Disney didn't create the story of Beauty and the Beast, it's a famous fairy tale, but certainly the way that it's been depicted, I love the use of the stained glass windows, the um, enchantress at the beginning, and how she's haggard, and she turns into this beautiful woman, all of that I think is really, really important important for young children to learn and I think that this movie's got a lot of really key messages definitely I would 100% agree with you on that so let's move on to another favorite Aladdin the next one on the list um again this is one I didn't watch too much as a child I think my love for Aladdin kind of came more when I was a teenager it was when they re when they first released it on DVD okay. I remember pre-ordering it um, and that was kind of where my, you know, my love for Aladdin kind of developed. It was through watching it as a, you know, as a little bit older. Um, I mean, Aladdin is, I love Aladdin. It's the first film really that we see where it's not got a sort of a strong Western or European connection. It's set in um, obviously the fictional city of Agrabah, um, which is, you know, meant to be somewhere in the Middle East. Um, so it's the first time that we're kind of taken to somewhere else in the world. Um, which is quite interesting in itself. And again, I think that kind of op opened up animation Were you about to say opulent? Opulent! It sounded yeah. like it. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, so obviously Princess Jasmine is your favourite princess. Yes. Why? Um, I've spoken about this before. I think it comes from this idea that she's got big bushy eyebrows and dark hair and tan skin and... As a little girl, I, I'm not saying that I was like, she looks like me, I wish. Um, or that I was even aware of it. I Clearly, I wasn't. Well, she's the first, like, non-white princess. Yeah, she, she is. She's the first kind of, you know, not Caucasian um, princess. I think that that's all really positive. I think looking back at the movie now, you could pick it apart. You could say, why is Linda Larkin doing the voice? She's mm -hmm. a white, Caucasian, blonde, American actress. I love her voice, though. Yeah. I, she has the nicest voice ever. Um, but, but, yeah, 
you could look at it like that. Um, you know, there's quite a lot of um, characteristics like Jafar's big hooked nose and things like that that have had critiques and criticisms in recent years. But I, I, to be honest, I don't pay too much attention to that. Captain Hook's got a big hooked nose. It's not a racial thing. <laughs> it's just that they're the villain the and they're thing, meant to yeah. have that kind of comedy value. But there have been a lot of people that have kind of taken umbrage with that and not been super super happy about the depiction of these kind of non-western characters um i absolutely love aladdin i think that you know we spoke about aladdin a lot last week in our review of the new movie so we'll try not to talk about it too much this week but robin williams we, we have to just touch upon that absolutely standout performance from robin williams one of my most favorite actors um and this movie is pretty much part of the, the reason that he's one of my most favorite actors um talking about the contemporary that we we kind of mentioned with um the little mermaid um you've got this this role of the genie where he's a shapeshifter and he takes on the appearance of uh, Rodney Dangerfield and also Jack Nicholson in the movie, um, giving us some very, very nice contemporary nods to other actors and other films, which I think Will Smith then also translates really mm. well in the live action by rapping and things like that. So, I mean, that's quite brave, I think, of Disney, because that could have completely fallen on its head. Or, you know, the fact that Aladdin, here we are in 2019, it's like, you know, almost 30 years old. And the fact that it's got these contemporary references isn't lost on it, I think is really, it was quite risky of them. Yeah, definitely. And I think especially with the genie, because I... I remember seeing a Rob uh, interview of Robin Williams years ago before he died talking about Aladdin and I think what happened was they had kind of scripted the genie and he went into the studio and kind of did the script and then afterwards was like now can I do my own thing and they kind of I think they're a bit tentative about it but they kind of let him go with it and look what happened like a lot of that is kind of him just ad-libbing and you know improvising as he went along and it completely works I mean that is one of probably one of the most iconic Disney characters, I would say. Oh, yeah. Probably a firm favourite with most people. Definitely. You can't not love that performance of the genie. And it's just amazing. It's just comedy at its best, but also this humble, gold-hearted nature of the genie. You just can't help but fall in love with that character. And another reason as well that I really love Aladdin is the music. Um, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman obviously worked together um, on that movie. I, I believe it's the last movie that Howard Ashman worked on. Um, he actually did didn't get to see Aladdin he he passed away um just before Beauty and the Beast was released um there's I'm not sure how true this is or if it's just like a Disney legend or whatever but they say that Howard Ashman was actually shown Beauty and the Beast in the hospital wing like hours before he died the final piece um yeah so he actually never got to see Aladdin which I think is really sad yeah. um, and Tim Rice stepped in to finish mm -hmm. the job which yes, you know you can, can never go wrong with Tim Rice no absolutely not Okay, next up, again, I would say probably a majority of Disney, well, not Disney fans, but people generally, their favourite, The Lion King. Um, I feel like even if you don't like Disney, everyone likes The Lion King, um, apart from Mercedes. <laughs> I <laughs> do we'll get into it in a minute. I do like it. Yeah. I do like I it. I mean, the interesting thing about The Lion King is it was never intended to be a big hit. I mean, at the time, again, looking at everything that was produced in the Bronze, Bronze Age, it was all animals talking. So I think kind of when the concept for The Lion King came up, obviously very loosely based on Hamlet, which again, it wasn't intended to be, I think it was kind of a... No one was really keen to work on it because it was talking animals. And instead, it was kind of the filler before Pocahontas and everyone, all the main kind of animators were working on Pocahontas. And then obviously, they got Elton John on board to do the soundtrack. And The Lion King was just an absolute massive success and still to this day one of the best-selling Disney films of all time um and there's a reason for that I think it's a combination of the colorful characters the amazing soundtrack obviously it's set in Africa and again you know the animation of that is amazing um kind of the plains of Africa and, and how it's all shot is amazing again after sort of Aladdin being in Agrabah was you know a fictional place obviously based on somewhere in the Middle East but with the Lion King you know it is it is in Africa and you know, we haven't seen that before in, in any Disney films. Um, so that opened up a lot of opportunities for them. And, of course, we have to talk about Mufasa's death because it's the first time that we've seen a main character killed, but also killed on screen. And I think it's a very good way of kind of teaching children about loss um, 
and it's absolutely heartbreaking as well yeah and i think it's necessary as well for the story you know it's not just the shock value for for, for shock's sake um it's very important on simba's kind of journey into discovering himself and and meeting you know the colorful characters timon and pumbaa and the likes and we've got a lot of very famous voice talent in this movie jonathan taylor thomas plays young simba we've also got rowan atkinson james Earl jones nathan lane this is a star-studded cast um and lion king which is being the live action version which is being released later on this year seems to be taking the same kind of um steer towards using lots of lots of big a-list names too um I do like The Lion King. I just think it's really overrated. Um, as Tasha said, it's a lot of people's favourite Disney movie. People that aren't really into Disney love The Lion King. Um, lots of football fans like to say, Arsene Wenger. I don't even know who Arsene Wenger is. I just know that my boyfriend does it. I mean, yeah, I think everyone who's got a pet has done that whole thing with like a cat or a puppy. Baby. Yeah, baby. Exactly. Um, yeah, that scene with Rafiki on Pride Rock is, you know, so famous. But I just, yeah, I like it. I just think it's really overrated. Um, and as I said in our first ever episode of Chat Disney, I think the musical is really overrated. I've seen it twice. I saw it as a child and then again as an adult with a fresh pair of eyes, willing it to be good. And it's just not, in my opinion. But my opinion's all that matters right now, I guess. <laughs> all we Your have, opinion. All we have is my opinion at this point. Um, but no, I, I just, I like it. I, I'll watch it like, I'll happily watch it there are some Disney movies that I like but if someone was like oh do you want to watch Bambi for example not really I do find The Lion King entertaining for me the reason it's so successful and the reason I like it is the music yeah like it's arguably the best Disney sound- I, I say to I think it's probably the best Disney soundtrack um as a whole as a film uh, not not like it's got the best song but I mean overall and i think elton john is massively um responsible for that is the first time they'd kind of worked you know they'd worked with really famous singer songwriters and, and and people that kind of did musical and movie music but the first time they'd gone to like a pop star yeah definitely and we do see that again later in this um you know era with tarzan and phil collins um but yes yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, yeah I, I don't know I, I guess that was probably intentional that they went to such a big name and asked him to be part of this and it and obviously it worked you know it was a huge success yeah what i don't buy though is you know there's this whole thing um that you spoke about and you know i've, I've heard this loads as well so it's kind of considered factual that they put all their best animators on aladdin because mm. they thought aladdin was going to be the one that broke all the box office records but actually it was lion king which was kind of their b-list if you will if that's the case why have they got elton john doing the soundtrack do you know what this is a very good point and i don't know i mean maybe they were like oh maybe it will be a bit rubbish but we'll get out and he'll kind of get a few more quid in at the box office <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't know but like I don't. why would you do that why would you you, you know you've moved all because the, the story goes that all the best animated yeah aladdin. anybody that was anybody was working <laughs> on aladdin no one wanted to be associated with the lion king well that doesn't add up to me but there we are it's um, a very interesting point and of course yeah. you've got hans zimmer as well yeah and again, so yeah hans zimmer yeah come on right like yeah it's a bit yeah yeah i do i think i i think that um in the same way that when you watch the apprentice they're like who's responsible for the failing of this task the responsibility for why this movie is so great Elton. is 100 <laughs> percent Elton with the assistance of han 100 percent. that is why this movie is so yeah well it'd be interesting loved. to know what it would how it would be if it had a different soundtrack but then you just can't imagine it any other way so. no maybe we should see if someone's done that on youtube or yeah. the darkest parts of the internet um i always think of the renaissance period as having like the big three that kind of came out in succession and i would call that beauty and the beast aladdin lion king you could argue that the little mermaid falls into that too but then you've got the rescuers that just messes the whole thing up but certainly those first three 90s movies i think you know they're they're the big ones i think they're most people's favorites i would say generally yeah. if you ask your average joe it's going to be one of those three i would agree normally. and then we move on to a couple more 90s movies i really like these movies so i'd be interested to see what you think as well um, and the first one of these is Pocahontas I love Pocahontas um, I always loved Pocahontas as a child I vividly Pocahontas is actually the first Disney movie that I remember going to see at the cinema 
Um, I think I must have been five when it came out. Um, and I vividly remember going to see it and loving it. Um, okay, so Pocahontas is obviously based on a real person, um, real events loosely. It has been kind of criticised for not being sort of historically and culturally accurate, but then it's a Disney movie. It is, but I can understand. I mean, I absolutely love Pocahontas and I think it gets a really bad rap. Um, I think the reason people aren't happy with it is not because it's not historically accurate, because as you say, it's a cartoon. It's the fact that they've changed the ages significantly of Pocahontas and John Smith to create a love story. Whereas she was a brave, fearless warrior, regardless of a man. I think that's the issue. Pocahontas was about 13 when John Smith arrived um, at, you know, Virginia or wherever it's meant to be in America. And he was like in his mid forties and there was no romance between them. So the fact that they've got Mel Gibson voicing this like hunky blonde dude, and then they've aged Pocahontas up significantly and made her this like stunning athletic goddess of a woman. I think that's what people have an issue with. Definitely. I do like that. It doesn't end, you know, the typical happily ever after he does get taken back and, she kind of, you know, we have that amazing scene with that amazing score oh. where she's running up the rock, oh, like, and the, then the leaves and the hair blowing in the wind. I love that, that scene. music, that crescendo. Love it. I know. Um, but yeah, so I love that it's not kind of a, and then they lived happily ever after. Like, I love that it, it ends kind of bittersweet in that way. Yeah, and I think the assumption is that John Smith dies. I mean, those of you that have been unfortunate enough to watch Pocahontas <laughs> 2 will know that <laughs> that's not the case. But yeah, the assumption is that he dies and that she knows he's going to die. Well, they say if he doesn't go, he'll die. But I, I think we all know he dies. I choose to believe he dies. It's a very Romeo and Juliet kind of ending and I love the fact that she doesn't go with him at that moment yeah I do as well you know loyalty is to her family her people definitely um Pocahontas um the first movie actually that I ever saw in the cinema was The Lion King but I was about 18 months so I don't remember it at all um I don't remember seeing Pocahontas in the cinema but what I do vividly remember or maybe I've just watched the home video of it because it does exist if any of you ever would like to watch me at age four topless in my PE shorts after sports day reciting colours of the wind while my like one one year old cousins like destroying my doll's house like some giant baby Godzilla type thing and I'm there (laughs) prancing around Um, I definitely I was Pocahontas like I believed I was Pocahontas sometimes when I was playing you know when you're a kid and you're really into it Mm -hmm. and you you know you forget that actually my name's Mercedes I'm four years old I believed I was this beautiful Native American woman. And I, yeah, I absolutely... Again, I really related to her. Um, Adults, when I was, like, six or seven, I think I've said before, people used to say that I looked like her, which used to annoy me because I wanted to be Jasmine or Belle. Um, But I definitely... Yeah, I think the character of Pocahontas I really like. And again, I love the music. That piece of music at the end that we've just spoken about if i could like walk out the house to that music every day and down it's uh, that yeah i just can't <laughs> that music is that it brings tears it's that one eyes. bit yeah oh. when she's running like yeah. we should watch it after we finish recording it's honestly just... that scene brings i i was once in the queue for the um <laughs> the magic carpet ride in uh-huh. Walt disney studios in disneyland paris i was with my friend dan and i was with some other friends from uni as well but the music started to play and dan and i were like oh, it's that music it builds yeah it builds to this almighty creature. and honestly i had tears in my eyes mm. in the queue because it's so powerful if, yeah if you if you don't know what we're talking about or even if you do but you've not listened to that piece of music on its own i highly suggest you do it's it. not on its own though you've got you've got to watch her running yeah just if you if you go on um youtube and type in pocahontas ending you'll know what we mean yeah lots of people have kind of got clips of that because it is such a, a big climax and um, pocahontas generally in the disney community is not really considered a super successful one and um, pocahontas is sometimes available for meet and greet they used to have a pocahontas show at disneyland paris um i believe there was a part of um phantasmic for a while that was pocahontas themed but 
it's not a big one, is it? It's not really, no. I would be interested and not surprised if they do a, li- a, a live-action version. Oh, I don't think they will. Don't you? No, because of this whole historical <laughs> thing. everything else. I know, but because of this whole historical accuracy thing, they can't do a Disney version. That's very true, and people... I feel like if you did it in today's society, you'd get even more rap for it. Definitely. I think before we die... I don't know if it'll be Disney or if it'll be another film studio, but let's face it, before we die, there won't be any other film studios because Disney would have mm-hmm. bought them all. Um, but someone will do a live action Pocahontas, but I don't know if it'll be like the Disney one or if it'll be like Pocahontas is 13 and it's proper. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so the next movie that we have in the Renaissance period is The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which I kind of group it together with Pocahontas because I feel like they're both quite similar in that they are well loved, but they're kind of forgotten and overshadowed by some of these other renaissance movies so tash and i we've both got the giggles um because the hunchback of notre dame stars one of our favorite characters captain phoebus who we're both trying not to laugh too much here but um we met captain phoebus once in disneyland paris when we were teenagers and it was a pretty shoddy ca- uh, costume very block fringe didn't he he did he had like yeah like a blonde bob like it was really bad we'll have to put a picture of it on oh, our will. social media so you can have a look at it um but yeah i guess one of the elements of um this movie that kind of interests me is the love story between phoebus and esmeralda yeah i would agree with that as well um i feel i feel a bit bad for poor old quasi poor old quasi because obviously he kind of gets excited he thinks esmeralda's taking a shine to him and then he realizes that actually no there's a spark between esmeralda and phoebus and it's kind of that thing of actually no She's in love with block fringe fevers. As you know, poor old Quaz doesn't get a look in. And, you know, I just think it would be kind of nice if if it would be the same as Beauty and the Beast, where it's all about kind of, you know, beauty is found from within rather rather than what you see. (laughs) Because Phoebus is so beautiful. (laughs) No, I agree with you. I feel like the fact that she doesn't choose Quasimodo and think... But then... This sounds really bad, but if she fell in love with Quasimodo, that would be unrealistic, wouldn't it? It would. I know yeah. that sounds and I, horrible. Do you know what? And I love, I love the ending of that film where he comes out and there's that little girl yes. in the crowd and she kind of goes up to him and gives him a hug. Like, yes. I actually think that is probably one of my favourite Disney endings to any any film because Quasi does have such... <laughs> Quasi. He has such an innocence to him. And kind of like the child going up to him and being like, you're not terrifying, like you're actually just a lovely misunderstood man. Yeah, and I think after years of abuse and brainwashing telling you that you're a monster to actually... (laughs) Tasha's still laughing about Phoebus' hair here. Oh, Oh, dear. Um, Yeah, to actually have the acceptance from the people of Paris and to realise that actually they don't care about how he looks. They just see the fact that he saved their cathedral from burning down, quite topical at the moment, um, and have rescued, you know, this gypsy girl. um, And that's all they really care about. So, yeah, it does have a really nice message. I do get what you're saying, though, about the love story of actually what is that kind of teaching children it's saying oh actually no you can't be you know a non uh what's the word i'm trying to look for conform uh conforming yeah so i mean yeah anyway to society's kind of beauty norms and um, but actually if you're block fringe phoebus in a nice gold <laughs> armor scene then you get the girl and i don't think that is a very good message but at the same time as i say i'm not sure how realistic it would be for somebody like esmeralda to fall in love with quasimodo especially because of their kind of natures and personalities definitely i mean it would have been interesting to see if they'd just not have put any love story into it at all but then i guess they were kind of worried about the risk of doing that because pretty much every disney film has a love storyline to it and I mean, it's not the main focal point of this film, so it's kind of you know like the sub storyline. Um, but yeah, I love I love Quasimodo as a character. I think he's great. I love that he's kind of got this yearning to be out there, um, as it were. And you know, obviously he's he's with horrible Frollo, who again goes back to that thing of what we were saying with Gaston. He's a real villain, and I think. Frodo is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, some of the connotations in that Hellfire sequence where he's saying to Esmeralda, choose me or the fire, I didn't realise actually until watching that as an adult that he's actually kind of 
well, he's completely um, objectifying her and, and kind of basically saying, because I don't know, when I was a kid, I always just thought he was really prejudiced about gypsies, but that can't be the truth. It's obviously he's been um, rejected by them or something because he's definitely interested in a romantic relationship with Esmeralda. And then when she spits in his face, he's like, right, you've made your decision. Um, and there's that bit where he kind of, he with where she's in the flames and he sniffs her um, purple yeah, handkerchief it's really yeah. really disturbing if you watch it again as an adult um, it's quite dark um, I love Demi Moore's voice um, I actually was watching Ghost the other day um, and yeah I don't know why that's relevant it's not but just the fact <laughs> that Demi Moore I just think she's got this really nice kind of that that kind of raspiness to her voice that we'd not really heard from a female Disney protagonist before and I really like that. I love that Esmeralda's got the really... She almost looks like Demi Moore. I know the skin colouring and the, the hair colouring, the eyes and everything. But the, the brow shape and the eye shape, you can see that kind of similarity yeah, there, I think. I, yeah, I agree. I think they have taken some nods from Demi Moore's face. Obviously, she was a massive star in her own right, being one of the Brat Pack from the 80s. Um, and yeah, she, she was, you know, again, a really, really big actress for Disney to kind of turn to for this movie, which was cool. Who voices our friend? Phoebus, do you know? Oh, I do know this. I it don't. Is someone, isn't it? I don't know if it is or not. That's why I was asking. I've never considered it before. No, I feel like when I look it up on IMDb after this, I'll kick myself because. What is like it? Someone I famous? I think so. Ooh. Not super famous. Hmm. I, I don't should know. have done more research. Well, I've just <laughs> sprung a really difficult question on you. Yeah, I don't even no, know the answer to myself. Um, the gargoyles are quite a fun comic. Oh, I love the gargoyles movie as well. Um, and I, I'll always have a special place in my heart for Hunchback of Notre Dame because I remember um, the second time I went to Disneyland Paris, the movie had just been released, and they it was the fifth anniversary of Disneyland Paris. And they had put jester hats all over the castle and they had their very own Festival of Fools in place of the parade. And, you know, obviously Disneyland Paris, it being Notre Dame and in Paris, it was it was a really big deal over there. You know, even now in Disneyland Paris, when you watch the fireworks spectaculars, they'll often feature out there with Quasi swinging down the castle. I think it's great as well that um, Hunchback... Hunchback of Notre Dame does get um, you know recognition in Paris obviously it's set in Paris um, so yeah I think it's nice that they kind of did that back in back in the day mm, definitely it's a, yeah it's a big deal for sure okay let's move on to Hercules Hercules um, was not well, it was not one that I really watched when it first came out to be quite honest with you I don't know when I first saw Hercules but I was quite old well not old but I was definitely <laughs> in my teens um, Hercules for me I like the storyline. I like the characters. It's all about that soundtrack. I love the gospel singers. I love that they're very key in kind of telling the story. Um, yeah, it is all about that for me. I love Hercules. I think Hercules is probably... I, I, I love or hate everything, don't I? I'm like, it's my favourite. <laughs> Everything's my favourite. It's definitely in my favourites, 100%. I would say... For me, um, my favourite movie in this period is, as we've said, either Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast, and Hercules is probably just behind them. I is really, mm, I love Hercules. I love Meg. Meg is great. She's really dark and, you know, got yeah, a bit of attitude. Quite different for another for any yeah. other female kind of oh, role God. that they've had before. Yeah, no, I absolutely love her, and you know, I love that line. Um, I'm a big girl. I tie my own shoelaces and everything. Well, she actually says I tie my own sandals and everything. So obviously it's Greek. Um, Hercules as well. This is going to sound like a bunch of waffle, but it really has kind of taught me a lot about Greek mythology. No, I know. Yeah, it's quite educational. It is. Like I used to watch um the. And the Disney animated series of Hercules as well and each episode was kind of depicting a different Greek myth and I learned loads from that and I, I remember actually my, my friend Dan who I've mentioned Dan a few times today I don't know why he's on my brain but there we are he'll be happy nonetheless um, I called him Narcissus um, once because well for obvious reasons <laughs> and he had never heard of Narcissus he thought I was calling him Narcissa as in Narcissa Malfoy from Harry Potter which I just why would I do that and um, I was like no Narcissus you know the god that fell in love with his own reflection and drowned himself looking at himself and then he kind of was like okay thanks that's really horrible um, but yeah there's that line as well I've never seen this much love in a room since Narcissus discovered himself it's just a quick throwaway line that Hades says at the christening of Hercules there's a really brilliant line 
times in there. Hades is my favourite Disney villain of all time. I do love Hades. He's I think excellent. He's brilliant. I love that moment as well. And it's kind of blink or you miss it towards the end when all the action's kicking off, all the titans are, you know, running riot around Athens and Pegasus blows out Hades' head and he's bored for a second yeah <laughs> brilliant um i love danny devito in there as well as phil this trainer that so doesn't want to bond with hercules in case something terrible happens to him but he does i love hercules as well he's got this real kind of boyish charm and naivety about him that doesn't fade even when he kind of becomes super pumped and a man and grows up and i yeah i love it again i think it's got a really really good moral it shows that you know just because you're born into something doesn't mean you're naturally deserving. He has to really prove his place to get back up to Mount Olympus. Love the gospel music, as Tasha said. Love the muses. They're hilarious. I Yeah, I really don't have anything negative to say about this movie apart from the fact, why does no one rave about it? I don't know. It's like, I think because it is kind of in that period, it's kind of the later years of the Renaissance where, you know, we... I don't like it's for some reason those last few films in the Renaissance didn't do as well, and I don't know why mm. it is because I think now you look back on them and they're brilliant films. Absolutely. Just at the time, like I didn't go and see, I saw Hunchback of Notre Dame at the cinema and I didn't see Hercules, and I don't know why my parents made that choice not to take me. Yeah, so I started, um, I, I really remember Hercules coming out and. We used to go. We used to go to the cinema. They used to do this thing on a Saturday morning at the Disney store, where you used to have to get there before it opened. There was a massive crowd, and they'd give you two tickets per person to the preview of the movie. And we used to do that every time there was a big Disney movie. Um, and the first movie that we stopped doing that is actually not in the Renaissance period. So I will remember to tell you which movie that was next week. But I guess kind of similarly to what you're explaining with Hercules there definitely was a point where my parents stopped actively encouraging us to go to Disney movies. And I don't think it was anything to do with age or anything like that. Cause we still went to all the Pixar movies when they came out. Um, obviously um, this was the period 1995 was when Toy Story came out. Hercules was released just a couple of years after. So those two were kind of, although Pixar and Disney were in partnership, the two different companies kind of had a bit of rivalry, I would say. Um, and yeah, my parents definitely started to take us to Pixar things rather than uh disney but as i say for me it wasn't in this period and i'll talk about that a little bit next week uh, but yeah i love hercules i think it, the, uh, yeah as i say the only negative thing i have to say about it is that it's really underrated um i've never met any of the characters from hercules at disney parks i've seen meg on the boat at the end of phantasmic you know and they have all the characters kind of waving their little sashes um i've seen her there but yeah never met any of them then hades was in the halloween parade at shanghai disney wow um, that's cool yeah i know it was but um yeah apart from that i've also never seen any of them anywhere yeah um so moving on next we have mulan i think mulan again it's, it's definitely not as commercially successful as say aladdin beauty and the beast lion king but definitely one that I mean, it's getting its own live action movie. So that pretty much says it all. Um, again, I think the music is another really key part of Mulan and its success reflection being a specific song. Again, with, there's this real theme, isn't there, in this period about beauty not being, you know, only skin deep and like not judging people by their outside appearances and being really true to who you are internally. Um, and that's, you know, all so, so evident in Mulan. Again, we've got this excellent comedy, rele uh, comedic relief character of Mushi played by the amazing Eddie Murphy. So again, ticks, ticks all of those Renaissance boxes. Definitely. I would say Mulan is up there um, with my favourites, again, for similar reasons. I love the story. I love the character of Mulan so much. I love that she is... I mean, family is such an important thing in China and honour is as well. And I love that it's this kind of thing, like she really puts herself out there because she wants to kind of protect her father. And obviously she goes off and she plays the part of a male, um, which is quite different to anything we've seen before. She's definitely the most kind of, you know, I don't want to say tomboyish, but... You know, we see her portraying a male, you know, technically. Yeah. And it's the first time that we really see that from a female, the only time, really. And um, I love that. I love that she's gutsy and she's ballsy and she goes to do that. And 
yeah, I just, I, no, yeah, I'm going off on a waffle here again, but I just, I love that film. I think if that film was released nowadays, they wouldn't have her be romantically involved with Captain Shang. Agreed. Because there's no suggestion anywhere through that they even have a friendship. And then, oh, you're a girl, let's date. Like, or, oh, you've saved China, now I'm interested yeah. in you as a person. It's like, he has a respect for her, but yeah, it's very true. It's like, oh... I almost feel like, yeah, I feel like he's a gold digger or something. And he's like, okay, now the emperor's given you this nice shiny medallion, we can be friends. Because he literally shows her no regard for anything um, at all, I think. So I just, yeah, I I have a bit of an issue with that relationship. Um, Mulan, again, is one for me that has real kind of memories as a child. I had the Mulan dress and I used to have like a little Mrs pots teapot and I pretend to like pour the tea more <laughs> and I also the first computer game I ever had and so this isn't like a PlayStation game or whatever this is like computer do you remember those computer games like yeah. PC, PC games game, CD-ROM yeah and it goes yes so I had a Mulan one of those and you had to like get her ready for the matchmaker oh, and then cool. you had to like um fire these cannons off to make the avalanche you had to wake the ancestors with mushu and uh yeah i used to love playing that and then that brings us on to our final renaissance movie uh 1999 release of tarzan tarzan again not one i really watched much as a child and it wasn't until my later years which seems to be a pattern with Actually, not really, because I remember going to the cinema to see Mulan, so ignore that. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, Tarzan. I love the story of Tarzan. I love Jane. I love that she is this kind of adventurous, um, you know, free-spirited woman, even though she goes to the jungle in a ridiculous dress, which always really bothered me. Um, But yeah, I, I just love Jane. I love that she's very, very British. She's got such a posh British accent. Um, And I, again, great soundtrack, as we said, same with um, The Lion King, using Alton John, they got um, Phil Collins on board to kind of do a lot of the music for Tarzan. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I love the story that, um, you know, it's kind of built between those two. Obviously, again, it's kind of based on, I don't know, like an old, is it an old book? Like novel yeah, or yeah, an old it's folk tale? I don't it's know. A, it's a British novel. I can't remember the name yeah. of the author, but yeah, it's a British novel, Tarzan. Um, and it's it's that idea, isn't it? It's similar to the Jungle Book about being raised in the jungle by animals and, you know, a man raised by monkeys, essentially. Um, again, some really famous actors in there. You've got Rosie O'Donnell playing Turk. I always thought Turk was a boy when I was growing up. I did too. I did too. Yeah. Um, and then Minnie Driver in the role of Jane. She has an excellent voice. I love that. Yeah, Daddy, they yeah. took my boot. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Clayton is somebody as well, but unfortunately, along with our friend Captain Phoebus, my memory has gone <laughs> blank, so I can't remember. Um, yeah, I like Tarzan. I, for me, my favourite element, uh, again, really, really synonymous with this period. I've said it a lot. It's the music. Um, Phil Collins. I mean, you can't go wrong. Oh, actually, no, you can go wrong with Phil Collins. We'll talk about that next week. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, the music hits great. One of my favourite songs actually has no lyrics at all, and it's the camp, the smashing up the camp song. Mm. That, yeah that's the one i love that um yeah tarzan really like tarzan um i like the ending i yeah uh yeah i do i'm i'm kind of like yeah i really like it. i do like it but it's probably no i i no i do really like it <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I do. I'm just. I'm like. I just feel like I've said that I like all of them, with the exception That's of. That's okay. You can like them all. Really? Yeah. With the exception of the rescuers down under. Oh yeah. Well. I actually do like about that, the better. every single one of these movies, but Lion King again, and this is why I say Lion King's underrated. If you've not watched Hunchback of Notre Dame and Tarzan, some of these you know lesser known movies, definitely go back and watch them again because. As I say, apart from the amazing Elton John and Hans Zimmer music, there's not much in it. Like, I think they're all really good in different ways. I would agree. And I think for this whole period, like, definitely, Disney definitely got its act together again. They did start producing some quality films. I mean, a lot of these are classics, not only for Disney, but for animation and even the movie industry. I mean, things like The Lion King is considered to be, you know, one of the greatest movies of all time. And I firmly agree with that. Beauty and the Beast won an Oscar for not best animation, best picture yes which was the exactly. first time an animated mm. movie ever did that i don't even think one's done it's, it since. no it hasn't i don't think yeah no i don't think it has 
But yeah, I, I think kind of the thing that does link all these films together is they just kind of, they went back to focusing on telling great stories with great characters. They had such a good kind of contrast between sad and comical and again, soundtrack, I know we've banged on about it a lot, but really out of all the Disney films, these films, in, all these 10 films have got, apart from The Rescuers Down Under again, but we're not including that now. All these films have the strongest soundtracks out of all of the Disney movies, I would say. Agreed. And I think that that is evident in the fact that The Little Mermaid, Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast um, have all been Broadway and West End shows. Well, yeah, either or. Um, So, yeah. And, I mean, I've seen the Tarzan show, I've seen a Pocahontas show, and I've seen a Hunchback of Notre Dame show. I've seen a Horsefly, that's what I sound like. (laughs) Um, I've seen all of those in Disney parks as well. Because these movies, they do, they just lend themselves with these really amazing characters and and scores and songs um, to be displayed in that way. Um, And finally, just to really kind of recap on the Renaissance period, when Tash and I were chatting about the golden age of Disney, one of the things we really spoke about was emotive, uh, emotional kind of elements of movies and, and the ability for these movies to really make you feel. And we kind of said that we didn't think there was any other period that did that. And I said that I did think there was one. And that's this, the Renaissance period. And the reason why, because I think we were talking about sadness, weren't we? And like crying. Beauty and the Beast makes me cry. Beauty and the Beast makes me cry. The Lion King makes me cry. The Lion King makes um, me cry. Pocahontas makes me cry. Pocahontas makes me cry, that ending. But that's, that's not out of sadness. It's like emotional of that. It is sad, though, because they're not going to see each other and she's desperate to get oh, to Oh, yeah, it's sad. It is sad. So, yeah, so anyway, so I just wanted to mention that again because we did say in the golden age like oh no there's and i do feel that i do think the golden age is sadder but this is also sad yeah i would agree with you on that yeah so that pretty much finishes up our very long episode today on the renaissance era of disney you can join us next week when we'll be chatting all about the experimental era uh but don't worry the episode is not over yet we now have our live reaction to the onward trailer so what are you waiting for i don't know something amazing i guess so I've already seen the trailer. I'm not going to tell you. We haven't discussed this yet. I'm not going to tell you any of my thoughts um, because I don't want to sway your reaction. So let us watch it and then we'll have a brief discussion. Okay, so we're going to watch it now live with you. Unicorn. Yes. Mermaids. Oh, I love this. The world was magical. Okay, I'm in love. But times change. Oh no, there's an aeroplane. That's clever. Oh my god, I love it. Mushroom houses. Oh. Oh wow. A centaur. Oh my god, I love this. I should put my glasses on. I can't really see her. <laughs> A troll. Oh my god. Yes, mermaid again. Love this. A gnome. Oh my god. That's got to be Tom Holland. Yeah, it looks like Tom Holland, doesn't it? <laughs> oh. A dragon. From the creators of Toy Story, The Incredibles and Coco. The little van with a unicorn there. Oh, there's my man, Chris Pratt. Nice. You brought sustenance for Unicorns! They're gross. They're horrible unicorns. They're eating out the trash can. Unicorns. I'm liking the music. It's not a quest. It's just a really fast and strange errand. It's totally a quest. Tom Holland, Chris Pratt, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Octavia Spencer. Come soon. Wow. Okay, first thoughts. Uh, yeah, love yeah. that. I think when I saw the picture on Instagram, I was like, I don't know, I thought that the style, the animation style, looked a bit like DreamWorks mm. or Universal. I know, I think it's because it's blue. And the moon is in the picture. I think that's what it is. I think it's like a subconscious thing. Maybe. That's what I think it is. I love the trailer. Because I, I think with 
I'm always a bit funny when Pixar are like, oh yeah, this is going to be our next film. I'm always a bit like, how's that going to work? Like, I can't imagine that. But then they always pull it out of the bag. And I love that trailer. I love it when they take something um, and they put a twist on it, like Monsters with Monsters, Inc. But they're actually these friendly monsters that are doing things to kind of, you know, help the world. And I love with this, they've kind of taken these old kind of mystical creatures, unicorns, mermaids, goblins, elves, and kind of put the modern twist on it. I love the bit at the end with the unicorns because like everyone loves unicorns these days but actually unicorns are gross in this so yeah I'm very excited about this film yeah me too and I think Pixar's ideas are always a little bit out there and wacky and so yeah when you hear the kind of brief snippet of what it's going to be about it's always a bit questionable but I think we've come to a point now where we tend not to question it because we've seen the amazing work that Pixar have done I think my kind of first impression and um, all I knew really about Onward was that it was these two brother elves played by Tom Holland and Chris Pratt um, and I think seeing that I didn't realise it was going to be this kind of contemporary like metropolis society kind of similarly to like Zootopia yeah. but with mystical creatures and I think Pixar are really tapping into something quite key here um with the fantastical obviously as Tasha said unicorns are like all the rage nowadays and mermaids too um, and then you've got dragons and centaurs really tapping into that kind of Game of Thrones idea I would say not that they're centaurs obviously in Game of Thrones but you know to compete with the likes of Game of Thrones Lord of the Rings Harry Potter um Disney don't really have any characters like that that kind of tap into mythological creatures at all um so this definitely provides that i'm definitely going to watch the trailer again um because i just yeah i've already to. watched it like three times yeah <laughs> but I, my first impressions are really really positive I really like the use of the soundtrack there it's giving me some major guardians of the yeah. galaxy vibes again you've got chris pratt who obviously plays star lord uh tom holland spider-man so we've got a little marvel element in there anyway but that kind of like 80s rock music that she used there in the car I think is going to work really nicely as I say we've seen that in Guardians of the Galaxy and also with the 90s soundtrack in Captain Marvel so I have no doubt that it will work here too definitely we will wrap it there for this week um as Mercedes said do join us next week when we talk about the experimental era Yes, if you have any questions at all or there's anything that you would like us to cover in next week's episode, do get in touch with us. At Chat Disney is our Instagram handle and at Chat Disney UK is our Twitter handle. We will speak to you next time. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.